Welcome to Procopio Perspectives, a podcast featuring award-winning corporate and litigation attorneys providing useful legal insights on the latest issues of the day. Now, here's your host. Hello, and welcome to our podcast. My name is Bob Sloss. I'm a partner with the law firm of Procopio, Corey Hargreaves & Savage, where I specialize in IP litigation. I'm joined today by Scott Krowitz, who is a trusted technology advisor with SAK Consulting in San Diego. And we're going to talk about trade secrets and technology issues in the COVID era. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you for the introduction, Bob. Uh, appreciate you uh, having me on today. So, you know, I, I have a question with everybody working remote. Um, you know, what are trade secrets and, you know, what, what actually makes them important? So, Scott, trade secrets are pretty much anything that has value and that isn't widely known. In the early days, trade secrets were generally things like customer lists or routes for particular businesses and services. Uh, today, they tend to have a more technology basis, but it can be anything that has value and isn't widely known. Why they're important today is because so much of what we're doing now is offline or online, and we're not in an office, we're not having meetings, we're sharing information electronically. And that means it's more accessible to others and it takes more of an effort to keep it secret. Trade secrets are some of the most valuable things a company owns, and it's important that they protect it. For instance, a typical trade secret is something like source code or the particular way a system operates. They may not be known by others and they really are what gives a particular company value. If their competitor were to find out some of this information, it would be able to gain an advantage over the company that owns the trade secret. So it's very important that this type of information be kept secret. Let me ask you a question. Uh, what is the best approach for identifying the digital whereabouts of a trade secret? In other words, if a trade secret might go missing, how can you trace it and find it? Yeah, great question, Bob. Well, you know, the first step is uh, relatively straightforward. It's actually, uh, you know, to identify the actual assets. So to your point, you know, if it's uh, if it's a customer list, uh, let's make note of that and figure out where it's stored. If it's, you know, credit card data, customer information, you know, where is that stored? It, you know, you could have it in, uh, it could be in spreadsheets, could be in various systems, but really it's just a matter of uh, making a list of, of things that actually have value, these trade secrets you're talking about, and then identifying the, uh, the system in which it resides. Now, from there, there's a lot of digital sleuthing that can be done as far as forensics around logs, which might capture activity on a particular system, or just trails on files that might have been moved from one location to another. So it really depends on, on where exactly it's stored, but just uh, coming up with a list of those assets and identifying where they're stored is really the, uh, the best approach we found. So, uh, you know, continuing the conversation, if we implement the protections, you know, why, why do companies have to worry about you know, legal issues relating to trade secrets? Well, because you well know, you probably better than many, none of these systems are foolproof. And while you can certainly put in these protections and should put in the protections, information will get out. Keeping a secret is one of the hardest things in the world to do. And therefore, it's important to make sure that if a secret does get out, you have a way of protecting the company by either getting it back or preventing somebody from using it. And that's what the law is all about. There are several provisions under the trade secrets laws that allow a company to get a trade secret back from a competitor or someone else who's taken it or there uh, to stop them from using it. We should point out that we're talking here about civil remedies. There are also criminal remedies. Uh, we've read about cases where the US government has gone after a foreign national 
who has stolen U.S. trade secrets. And many of these are not necessarily related to government or military. They're related to the way a, a company operates. And so there are criminal actions that can be taken, but what we're talking about here is civil actions. And you could bring a lawsuit to stop somebody from using a trade secret and from spreading it or to get the trade secret back. And let me point out that the first step that any company should do is make sure that they've identified what actually are their trade secrets. Not all information is entitled to this protection and companies should be very careful about identifying what exactly they consider their trade secrets to be. And they should keep a log of that information so that it's readily accessible. They also need to make sure they label information where possible as containing confidential trade secret information so that when the time comes, if the time comes to try to get it back, they have an easy way of identifying what it is. They need to update this information on a regular basis and make sure to limit it, the information only to those employees who actually need it. So Scott, we talked about a little bit that there are you know, these protections. These are great for big companies, but what about companies that are you know, just small businesses or ones where nobody's really interested in their data, so they think? Should they think differently about the threats out there in the cyberspace uh, relating to their information? A great, great question, Bob, and uh, I appreciate the information on the civil remedies as well. I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that. So it sounds like they're definitely, uh, you know, within reach. That's, that's great to know. As far as uh, you know, small businesses thinking that they might not be a target. Uh, what we're seeing out there in cyberspace is, you know, when it comes to like uh, an attack or a breach, it's really not a matter of, of if these days. It's a matter of when. Um, so you know, I would, I would, con- I would ask companies to consider, you know, who, who are your adversaries? Uh, and they, they come in they come in different uh, shapes and sizes out there in cyberspace. So it could be anything from uh, disgruntled employees. And uh, you know, if you have a business, you have employees. You might have folks that are maybe not that content with certain decisions that are being made, especially during these times, and might try to uh, sabotage from the uh, from the inside. You know, then you also have uh, disgruntled former employees. You know, no no guesswork there as far as you know what what their motivation would be. You also have hacktivists. Um, that would be like a hacker activist, uh, you know, foreign nationals or others who might not disagree with, you know, the, the business that you're in, uh, any kind of policies that your company supports and may just uh, want, want to see you out of business for a particular reason. And then you just have, um, you know, your run-of-the-mill hackers who uh, are looking to exploit or a particularly sensitive business, say maybe like a, a small CPA firm or something could be an example where there's a lot of sensitive information where if leaked, could, could cause a, a great deal of damage. And then they're looking for uh, some type, type of monetary gain out of that. You know, so with that though, what, what does a company have to do to actually uh, get the legal protections you're speaking about? Yeah, so that's really the important question, right? And I'm glad you brought up the, the subject of disgruntled employees because that is the number one source of trade secrets getting out. And it, it just, it's, it's probably, I'd say 60 to 70% of all trade secret cases involved either a disgruntled present employee, but more often a former employee. So under the law, a company is required to take reasonable steps to keep its trade secret information confidential. Now that doesn't mean build a Fort Knox around it so that there's absolutely no way anybody could get access, but the steps taken must be reasonable. So what can a company do? limit who has access to the information to only those employees who really need to know it. Keep it off of a a company-wide server. Limit the people who actually have access to a particular server where the information is stored to those on that team working on it. 
train employees on confidentiality policies, and not just when they start, but on a regular basis, a couple of times a year maybe, require all employees to sign non-disclosure agreements at the time of employment, and most importantly, when they leave the company. Even that is not foolproof because NDAs or non-disclosure agreements can have to be carefully drafted so they're not too broad and cover non-confidential information. Courts have been known to hold to overly broad agreements to be unenforceable, and you don't want to be in that position. When an employee does leave, image all of her devices to make sure she did not take any information with her that she's not supposed to have. Not just the computer she might have been using, but her phone, any uh, iPads or tablets, anything like that. It's important just to make sure that you, you have a record of what the employee has at the time she leaves. Require all customers, vendors, consultants, anybody who might have access to confidential information as part of their work for you to sign non-disclosure agreements. And finally, when talking about trade secrets, make sure you do so on a secure platform. Because as we know now in today's world, somebody might be listening no matter what, where you are or what you're doing. So Scott, this all sounds like so much to keep track of if you're a company uh, as far as where digital trade secrets reside and all the threats out there. Where should leaders start and when, when should they start addressing this situation? Yeah, good question, Bob. So I mean, just kind of uh, regrouping and checking in, you know, we're speaking about the actual uh, whereabouts of the, of the digital assets, um, in this case with the trade secrets, you know, thinking about what the threats might be or the adversaries. And so, you know, this question about what to do about it really comes down to uh, what we'll call broadly architecture. So once we've identified the information and uh, we have ideas about who might want to access it, then we can think about protecting it. Um, a good analogy I like to use is uh, similar to like securing your house. Now, I mean, you don't generally go to someone's house and see a, uh, a bank vault door on the front door. At the same time, you don't necessarily see just a screen door with a, with a small lock, right? Typically, it's, you know, a reason, reasonable door with a deadbolt, depending on the neighborhood, maybe a screen door. So it's, it's, it's kind of very similar here, right? So it's really a matter of understanding, you know, the, the value and deciding, you know, what would be the extent of a loss. If this information got out, what type of exposure is the business looking at? And you know, from an insurance perspective, what are you willing to invest to protect that? Because I mean, when it comes to just the spectrum of uh, security options out there, I mean, it, it runs the gamut from you know simple antivirus software all the way through you know literally like nine-figure solutions that would involve a security monitoring center and uh, all kinds of different protections. So, you know, really it's, again, a matter of understanding where things are, who might attack it, and then, you know, let the punishment fit the crime, right? You don't need to put a bank vault on the uh, front of your home, but you do want to put at least threat deterrent level security and a uh, security professional can help with that. So, you know, question for you, Bob, uh, you know, are Wait, the risks- Before we do that, Scott, what, what do you, okay. so you, you talked about uh, the term was threat eff- effective. It's right at the end there, you used a term that I think might require a little explanation. Threat effective barrier or something like that, you said? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, just um, understanding what the risk is and, and putting, uh, you know, a right size, you know, protective barrier around it, right? So again, with the, with the house example, uh, you want to put a bank vault on your front door, but you also would secure it with probably a little more than a screen door. So it's, it's a matter of, uh, you know, looking at what protections make sense uh, as an investment. And again, there's, there's a whole range just from simple antivirus all the way through, 
you know, enterprise level uh, monitoring solutions. So it's really uh, speaking to, you know, the right uh, security provider to uh, understand a little more about what the options are, what the investment would be, and what's going to fit the data best. Thank you. That's helpful. Sure. Yeah, no worries. Uh, okay. And so, so Bob, um, are risks to a company greater now that so many of us are working remotely? And has, has that changed how the law might apply? Absolutely. So think of trade secrets being lost in a situation like this. If you're in an elevator with a co-employee and you're discussing something that might be trade secret and somebody gets on at a different floor who's not with your company and you keep discussing it, there's a potential that that trade secret would be lost because you're, you're discussing the information in the presence of somebody who doesn't have a reason to know about it or any, any right to know about it. So expand that scenario hundredfold because we are now all working remotely and we are sharing information over the internet. We are sharing in platforms like Zoom, and I don't mean to pick on Zoom, like Microsoft Teams, many different platforms where it is possible for hackers to to enter the conversation. We've all heard about Zoom bombs and things like that for people entering who, sh- who don't belong. That is a very real possibility. And it, it's important that we deal with it by putting in whatever security is available from that platform and making sure that nobody is in the meeting who doesn't belong there. And it also, courts are beginning to catch up on this as well. In a, in a recent decision, a court held that the failure of the owner of a trade secret to take reasonable measures to protect its trade secret, in part because the company that owned the trade secrets disclosed them via a Zoom video with people who are properly on the video, but but where they did not use available security measures. The court held that that caused the loss of the trade secret. So it's very important that everybody who uses Zoom in a a situation like this, become aware of what the available security features are and that they use them. Because the failure to do that may may strip you of the ability to enforce your trade secrets should you need to do that. Scott, I I have one more question for you. Um, I know people out there might have internal IT, they have external IT. Sounds like, you know, we've talked about what, the why, and the how. Can you suggest the best who to leverage to secure uh, peace of mind around technically protecting trade secrets as the remote landscape continues to expand? Yeah, sure, Bob. I know it can definitely be a, you know, a head scratcher on that one, right? I mean, uh, you know, harkening back again to the analogy of securing your home, let's say you weren't overly concerned about security. You might just uh, go out by a ring doorbell, uh, for example, and uh, you know, install it yourself. It might take you 20, 30 minutes, and you're good to go. Now, you know, let's say uh, there's a little more threat to your, uh, you know, security at home. You know, maybe you'd put in an alarm system. Beyond that, maybe you'd start putting electrified, you know, fences and gates and cameras around your home. And as you can imagine, for all those different tasks, you'd probably have different, uh, different service providers, different vendors that would help. And it's, it's no different in cybersecurity. So, you know, if you determine that there aren't a ton of trade secrets uh, to protect uh, digitally, then you know you might be good with just an internal IT support person, or just a standard uh, external IT support firm who can provide you just some basic security. Up from that, you know you could look at a dedicated IT security firm that can come in and help you identify how you secure the actual, uh, let's say, perimeter and the uh, the different devices that uh, have this exposure. And then you know up from that, 
there are you know services that'll actually implement these controls for you and monitor it as well. In, in addition, you know having the right cyber liability uh, policy can can be good as well. I'm, I'm not an insurance expert, and that's maybe another uh, podcast for you, but important to uh, help secure your risk as well, just in case these defenses don't work out. So that's that, that's kind of what I would suggest as far as the who. And, uh, and Bob, I really appreciate you having me on the podcast today. It's, uh, I've learned a lot from a legal perspective. And uh, yeah, thanks so much. Well, thank you. And I've learned a tremendous amount from uh, the technology perspective. And I, I hope Hope everybody else has as well. For those of you who, who found this to be helpful and informative, I would like to let you know that Scott and I are doing a little bit more of a detailed breakdown on this in a webinar on Thursday, October 22nd at 10 a.m. Pacific time. I hope you'll join us then. Scott, thank you. It's been fun. Thank you, Bob. We hope you enjoyed this Procopio Perspectives podcast. Please subscribe if you haven't already and visit procopio.com to learn more about Procopio. Thank you for listening.